0: podcast i'm your host robbie burke and on this episode i interviewed coach dan john uh, dan john is a well-known figure in the strength and conditioning industry and on this interview we talked about everything with regards to strength and conditioning and life lessons in general so it was a great interview and i hope you enjoyed. okay dan it's absolute it is an absolute honor to have you on my podcast how are things in california
1: Oh, fun. It's fantastic, it's great uh, Just got done working out and, uh, Kind of decided whether I should go to the pool or the beach now to cool off But I'll, uh, I'll spend my time talking with you, that'll be more exciting
0: <laughs> It sounds like a tough life Yeah
1: um, you know It's good, it's
0: good, yeah t- t- Just just for, for, our, for our listeners who do know who you are Tell us how your hip is doing, you recently had some hip surgery
1: Well, I kind of wish I'd have taken care of it Well, you know I'm doing fantastic. Let me just say that. But, you know, I really tried real hard to, you know, I I used a whole bunch of different uh, uh, therapies and a whole bunch of different, uh, we tried everything short of surgery. Uh, And sadly, surgery was the only option. It was the only option probably three years ago. And so I spent three years limping, you know, tragically. But I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I, I, uh. I went to yoga uh, two nights ago, and I just finished a workout you know, with my group, and uh, it's coming around. Uh, I get—I mean, my hamstring gets sore fast, and I think it's because I've had, some, you know, had a lot of work done on it, you know. Uh, big big hole cut out of my leg, you know. The femur got cut off. I've got a couple pounds of metal inside me, so yeah, it's it's pretty good. I can't complain. Do, do, do you think it's from years of showing the disc? No, no. It, it's from an injury. I had necrosis. I had a dead hip. Um, oh. Yeah, people like to do that, you know, and that's fine. You know, You, uh, I constantly hear, oh, you know, probably from this and that, but the, the doctor's real clear. You know, I played uh, American football into my late 40s, so probably that was, you know, something that wasn't a good idea. But no, I, I mean, the other thing, too, is, you know, necrosis means dead tissue, you know, so all that wonderful stuff i tried to do didn't really help
0: you know did a lot of
1: yoga did a lot of stretching did a lot of voodoo oh you do the voodoo and it just didn't help very much but I'm doing great
0: (laughs) that's great that's great to know Um, and then Dan just for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with you just give us just give us a brief uh, intro to your background
1: well they're not familiar with me you know they're they're riffraff we shouldn't allow them on (laughs) alright I'm uh my name is Dan John. I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, started lifting weights probably about 1965 when my, uh, my aunt died. We bought a barbell set. Uh, my goal was to pay for my education uh, as an athlete, and I did that as a discus thrower. Uh, I've been all around the world because of my athletics. Uh, I started coaching formally in 1979, though actually, really, I was doing a lot more you know, I did a lot more than just that. You know, you know. I mean, I started. My neighbors were convinced I started coaching when I was about ten. You know, I was always. They called me the pipe piper because the kids would always come out and train with me. Um, boy, uh, I've done uh, just about every sport I get my hands on: uh, American football, soccer, basketball, baseball, all the American sports, track and field, the Highland Games, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, gear voice sport. Pentathlons, triathlons. Um, I've sprinted in track meets. I've run distance in track meets. I've thrown the shot, discus, javelin, hammer. You name it, I've thrown it. Uh, I've written a few books. Uh, my academic scholarship is solid. I've got uh, advanced degrees in theology and advanced degrees in history. And I was a Fulbright scholar a long time ago, so which is a kind of a, a, a big deal in America. Um, so I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so that, that'll give you a brief I, my, my wife uh, works for the treasury department I have my oldest daughter's a first grade teacher now she was all state in the discus in Utah and she was also the prom queen the same week so that's a big deal in America and my other daughter is a hammer thrower for the University of Utah but she's on an academic scholarship so both my daughters were very uh academic and athletic, and that's what I think is most important.
0: Dan, how do you think your degree in theology has helped you as a strength coach?
1: Oh, it's funny because, you know, I always tell people, I think I think having a history background and a religious studies theology background is really a great thing to do. Uh, the joke is this, if you die in the weight room, I'm the only person qualified to say that the soul has left the body, so <laughs> uh, so I've got that over at Dr. But um, theology and religious studies demands uh, a systematic approach. You know that you know the in you know in Aristotle's Academy it said, you know, do not enter if you don't understand geometry. Theology is based on geometry, givens and to proves. So for me, I've always been very comfortable with what are my givens. You know, what are the givens? And if, if you believe X, Y, and Z are the keys to getting stronger, faster, whatever, you know, that you can make a career on that, you know, because I've always felt I have a solid set of givens, okay? I, a lot of people I know, they, they keep going, it's like they're like a leaf in the wind, they just kind of flippity-flop from this to that to this to that because they don't really have, they don't know what their givens are, okay? So... Theology demands that you know what your Givens are. If you believe in one God That's great. God bless you But what happens if a baby dies I mean, you know, who do you blame Okay, Mm -hmm. so Having a given like something as simple As believing in one God makes it very Difficult to deal With some of life's problems. In the same way If you believe as I do That lifting weights makes you stronger And I believe that (laughs) You know it means that when someone starts telling you some crap about getting stronger that doesn't involve lifting weights, you kind of have to scratch your eyeball a little bit and say, uh, "You know, that doesn't sound right." With my background in history, I think it's really helped me because, you know, history is all about cause and effect. And so for me, I always, I always try to get back to the cause. Hey, you just said that about my hip a couple seconds ago. You know, there's this assumption that. Uh, You know, guy lifts weights, blows out his hips. Well, wait, wait, wait. there was a causal moment where I hurt myself. And so if you follow, um, having that history background allows me to, for example, when something new comes across, I could wash it through not only my experience, but what did Hackenschmidt think? What did Percy Sarity think? What did uh, Tommy Koto think about that? And so the upside about all this nonsense I'm telling you is uh, with these degrees, I have a different view than some have. If you've got an exercise or physical education or some kind of anatomy background, that's your given. That's the lens that you use to look at all this. And it's not always perfect. Yeah,
0: it's just, it it was something that I read and never let go. And I I heard it before that you studied history and theology. I was like, I wonder what kind of Advantage, you know, he took from that, you know, as a strength coach. Because I, I, myself, uh, am kind of interested in theology and, and just kind of religious yeah. um, stories as well. So I just wanted to get your perspective on it too. Uh, yeah,
1: Dan, and i, and I and oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and when I tell people that that Gibbons and to proof thing about geometry, very often they'll just kind of let that wash past them and like, oh, "Whatever, Dan Jones, blah 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 blah." <laughs> My thought is. Really? You don't know what your givens are? You've never spent 10 minutes thinking about what you think? Your, your givens. For example, on fat loss, if you think diet is a given, then whenever you go off a diet, you know, therefore, you're going to become a fat ass. If you think that your givens is that you can outrun your diet... Then if you go uh, uh, lift your diet, when you go off a diet, you, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just, you follow my point though? You have to be real careful about what your givens are. And the funny thing is, everybody listening has their own givens. They just never thought of it that way
0: before. Yeah. Dan, who would you say have been the biggest influence on you as
1: a strength coach? Well... Uh, let me let me do it two ways. Let's do book learning first, okay? Book learning. Uh, he would never have known this, but Percy Sarity the great Australian uh, distance coach, uh, really clarified my thinking. I was I, I, I was becoming a solid coach, but I was kind of all over the place. And then I got I got his book written by David I want to say David Wells called Training with Sarity and uh, a lot of people would have missed it, but for me, he he had some gems. He quoted Schmidt, which made me go back and study Hackenschmidt. That's that extensive versus intensive training. That opened my eyes. Uh, also, there's a guy by the name of an American weightlifter by the name of Tommy Kono, mm. who uh, radically changed, changed, changed the way I, I view um, strength. He believes in what he calls the American system, which is you know what is the fastest, most, most efficient way to become great. Are you hearing me okay, by the way? I'm, I'm hearing you fine, yeah. Okay, because I'm getting some weird stuff on my Skype here right now. It's getting all kinds of weird colors and stuff. But <laughs> Okay. No, really, it's, it's kind of freaking out. Um, really freaking uh, I'll have to ignore my... Oh, there we go. Whatever. Um, also, too, I mean, there was a magazine called Strength and Health growing up, and they had a guy by the name of uh, John McCallum write a lot and I, I really think he, uh, he he never even heard of me but he had a huge effect on my career uh, uh, the book uh, Keys to Progress is I strongly recommend it mm-hmm. in my own experience though it would be Dick Knotmeier, uh who I met when I first graduated from high school the, fa- the famous thing. Dick oh, wonderful uh, I've, heard you sp-
0: I've heard you speak about him all the time
1: Changed my life Charged me 25 cents a week to train at his gym Uh, uh, Just remarkable for what he did You know, did for me Uh, Yeah, just The man Perfect time in my life Uh, Huge impact, can't thank him enough
0: Uh, He took your body weight up like 20 pounds in 3 weeks Or something ridiculous Or or 3 months uh, 40 pounds in 4 months
1: Oh my god so for those of you who are metric, uh, 39 kilos in four months. And, uh, boy, did we, it was great for me. I mean, he really, really, I mean, I learned a lot about life and lifting from that guy, I tell you. And if you go to my website, I've got some free stuff i ripped about Dick. Help yourself, you know, look around, enjoy it, you know, uh, you know, uh, he, he changed my life and, uh, but you know, I mean, let's be honest too, uh, for two full years, five days a week, I lived through with him for two and a half hours. When people asked me how do you learn how to snatch and clean a jerk, I, I, you know, well, here's one idea. Snatch and clean a jerk five days a week for two two years and get back to me. So so Dick, uh, Coach Ralph Maugh at Utah State, uh, with his simplicity and his clarity, you know, he had had super athletes before and he knew how to train them. Um, great athletes, uh, I don't know how to say this, need to be trained a little differently. And I know that sounds bizarre to even say it. It would be so obvious to say it, but it's true. I mean, you just, you got to have the courage to train them a little differently. But there's others, of course. Jim Schmitz, Sports Palace, um, uh, Pavel Satsuline, you know, with the RKC community. Uh, Really huge impact on me, on the way I see things. Lots of people. But those, those would be the big names, okay?
0: Dan, what do you think is the biggest problem within our industry, the strength and condition injury, as you see
1: today? Uh, the, the the biggest problem has been the biggest problem ever. Uh, you know, it, it, instead of looking at uh, you know, I'm going to take you in the when you're 12 years old, develop you into an athlete to your 70. By the way, I've got great respect for the GAA. You know, uh, for those of you listening in who don't, the, the Gaelic Athletic Association, that's hurling football and handball. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a kid in when they're five or six, right? And they're going to play for that team until they can't play for that team anymore. And the problem we have here in the States, and it's dripping all over, is that, you know, we've got this idea that, you know, what we're, what we're going to do for you in a, uh, you know, uh Two weeks to a tighter tummy, you know, seven days to instantly bigger arms. Uh, the problem with the industry is that we, we've forgotten about patients. So everything's a quick fix. Everything's an overnight solution. And that's just not, not what we want to do. Okay? Like
0: too too many gimmicks.
1: Oh, too many gimmicks. Absolutely too many gimmicks. I, th- I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just... And the thing is, you know, and everyone's always looking for the next wave, you know. Everyone's always looking for the next, okay, nah, you know, here comes here comes this, here comes that. But truth is, a lot of junk doesn't work. I mean, you've got to have the courage to, you know. You know, if it takes 10,000 throws a year to become a good discus thrower, you know, and I tell you it's going to take you 8, 9, or 10 years to develop that. Most people just walk away from me now and go look for some simple, quicker answer. But I, we both know that that's the truth. We know that that's the truth. You know, if it took you twenty years to put on that thirty pounds, forty pounds of body fat, how, how can you expect me to get it off of you in, in three or four or five days? You know, mm.
0: I, I don't know. <clears throat> it's frustrating. Assessments, Dan. Do you use any assessments with your
1: with your athletes? Yeah, in fact, in my... I, I'm not pushing my new book, but in my new book... Uh, plug, plug. <laughs> easy strength, uh, I go through them all. Uh, I use... I like i like the FMS, but there's only two of them that really seem to help my athletes. And that's the active straight leg raise and the shoulder mobility one. Those two seem to really, um, you know, help. Uh, and then um, I do... Uh, A one-minute plank test. Actually, now I'm moving that to a two-minute plank test from Stuart McGill's recommendation. If you can't hold a plank for two minutes, he says you're either obese or your abdominal training is stupid. Uh, I do a pull-up test. I do a back squat, body weight back squat test. I do a, I do a bench press, body weight test. I do, oh, uh, overhead squats. I do these little tests with caps on the ground. I have a whole variety of tests, but what it's come down to is that there's three tests that seem to really indicate for me, for most of the time. It, okay, you should do probably the, the, the FMS. I, I, it's not a bad idea to have done the FMS. Uh, yeah. I think there's some value to it. Having said that, uh, there are some other things I would strongly recommend in there too. Um, there's there's three that there's three that come out, and I just showed you four. Uh, there's three, and that would be the bench press, the deadlift, and what I call the three jump. And the three jump is three consecutive uh, long jumps, standing long jumps. So it would be boing, 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 not jump, recover, jump, recover, but boing, boing, boing. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that when an athlete begins to get that, for a female, uh, 275 pounds or 125 kilos, When they get above that number, great things start to happen. When guys get over double body weight deadlifts, great things start to happen. And with the boing, boing, boing jump, the three jump, uh, I noticed that when I get a young kid and they improve, you know, like a foot on that drill, that's telling me that what we're doing in the weight room is working pretty good. So those are the biggest, I mean, I've got... I'll use, I mean, I'll do a, as many assessments as I can get away with. I, I don't mind coming in every day and uh, and you know having a new toy in the beginning of assessment. I, I think that'd be absolutely fine. You know, if you have a you know if you have an athlete for a long time and you you assess and even you test, assess, grade, uh, scale, FMS score, and you have a bucket of well, I don't know say thirty different things. And over a 10-year period, you get a chance to say, "Okay, okay, you're better here. You're better there. You're better here. You're better there." Uh, I think that's some real value. Now, if you work in a group setting with 70 athletes at once, um, you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do what I did and really streamline and try to outthink that process a little bit. I try to assess even my big groups. I try to do formal assessment uh, four times a year. That'll be all the the plank test, the horizontal road test, the pull up test, four times a year, uh, and then like strength tests when appropriate. For some kids, you know, younger kids, you can test strength every six weeks. Uh, as a, as an athlete gets older, it becomes, you know, it might be for an elite athlete, you test their strength every five six years, you know, because you just don't need to know what their absolute numbers are, you know, as you know, you're, you're looking at what how far the discus going or how you know how, how are they different? Okay, does
0: that make sense? Yep, makes great sense. Dan, you were at Mike Boyle's facility back at the start of the year with the winter seminar, and, yeah. he, and Mike gave his presentation on on how he believes that single leg work has more benefits than than bilateralists. And from reading all your material, you you still seem to be a big proponent of bilateral bilateral lifting. What what is your take on Mike's opinion?
1: We, we call it squat. Uh, <laughs> I don't disagree on that at all in fact we talked for a long time after uh, Mike uses the goggle squat as a teaching thing I think we're I think we're saying the same thing uh, my, my thing is this uh, you know with an elite athlete you might never need to have anything over a three or four hundred pound squat mm. now I, didn't, I wish I knew this when I was young in my career in the middle part of my career I forgot about it and pushed my squat up the problem with the squat is, and Michael a one hundred percent, is that the squatting movement is very important. Yeah. The, the error we make is when we start talking about maximal loaded squats, and so you've got this person, you know, doing a good morning squat. You know, what I'm saying that bent over good morning squat. Yeah, yeah. Wrapped their knees and they've got two belts on and uh, they've you know got chalk. They ate some chalk and. <laughs> that doesn't carry over to many sports. It does carry over to powerlifters, even top-level powerlifters, but it doesn't really carry over to the sports that we coach. Mm-hmm. So, just try to remember that we both agree, a hundred percent, that movement is important. It's how people load it that gets you crazy. That drives you crazy.
0: Why don't you like lunges?
1: Uh, well, you know. <laughs> Jane Fonda does long lunges. <laughs> lunges. I, you know, you do all the lunges you want. I won't. I won't think less of you as a person. Actually, I will. But do them all you want. I don't like lunges. I find them hard to teach. I find them. Uh, uh, I, I can see why people love them. I get it. I just don't like them. Yeah. I mean, I don't like them. I don't.
0: Well, I, I must I must say you, you must watch the video of Ben Bruno doing three hundred pound walking lunges. That's that's pretty impressive. So, <laughs> but I I understand where you're coming from with Jane Fonda as well.
1: But there's no national lunge foundation. There's no championship. I know. Yeah, uh, it's hard to measure the value. Uh, if I if I lose an athlete because of a a loaded lunge that goes badly, I don't get that athlete back. Yeah. Uh, you can do lunges the rest of your life. But just not not with me around, okay? <laughs> I'll keep that in mind then. All right. Um, fat
0: loss, Dan. You speak a lot about it in Never let go about the velocity diet. It, it's mentioned numerous times throughout your book. Just to tell the listeners about the velocity diet, what it is, and your experience with it, and, and how it works yeah. for fat loss. Well, you know, you got to
1: be a little careful on that. You know, it's when the when the book came out, there's a couple. I reference it a few times. Yeah, the fasti diet is six protein shakes a day, and one day a week you eat a meal. So in 28 days you eat four meals. <laughs> it actually, works out to more like three if you actually do it, because that last meal is the last supper. I mean, you you get to you know you're you're off it after that. I'm not. You know, I love Chris Chris Sugar, the guy who came up with it, and I like the Teen Nation products a lot. But I've always argued to people, folks, quit thinking it's the velocity diet. Everyone misses the point. Mm. I discovered two things in the velocity diet. One, I wasn't getting enough liquid. in my. And I was thirsty at night all the time. Once I went on the velocity diet, I realized I wasn't drinking enough liquid. The second thing, and this stunned me because I'm a high-protein guy, is I wasn't getting enough protein in my diet. stunned me. I was convinced I had enough protein in my diet. But the, the nice thing about the Velocity Diet is, hey, man, you're not, you're not drinking your, you know, you're know, you not getting your protein in. But the important thing about the Velocity Diet is this. Hey, man, if you can live on six protein shakes a day and nothing else, nothing else, for basically 28 days, how hard is it going to be if someone said, well, now we want you on a high-vegetable protein diet? It's pretty damn easy. Yeah. If you told me two weeks into the Velocity Diet, Dan, for world peace, you must stop the Velocity Diet and go on a diet of eating uh, vegetables at every meal and a little bit of protein, uh, you know, a little bit of steak. Will you do it for the good of all humanity? Yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> uh, once you've done the Velocity Diet, you get a little cocky, to be honest with you. It's like, really? That's all you got? You'll be sitting there and someone will be bragging about this new diet thing they are doing. You'll look at them like, you're calling that a diet? That's not a diet, man. That's, That's a way of eating. You want to talk about a diet? Break out the blender, baby. Let's talk. It was one time I was going, oh, man. I was going to a meeting, and I was in my truck, and I was late. And so I put in, and I knew it would be a long meeting. So I put in, I had two shakes with me. And I, when I pulled out, I hit a bump, and I spilled two shakes. Well, the truck smelled like protein powder for the rest of the life, but looking at my next two meals poured out in my truck broke my heart. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? I can't eat? Oh. But, you know, I went to the meeting and I was fine. My point on this is if you do something like this for 28 days and you roll the dice with every ounce of willpower you have, amazing things happen up here psychologically. Mm-hmm. I uh, I went on to... I, I, after that, I did Alan Cosgrove's Afterburn 2, and there's still pictures of my abs online in that thing. I mean, it's... I mean, I've got... I mean, I've got a raging six-pack. And, and people ask me, how hard is Afterburn 2? And I look at them like... After bird two is easy. The diet is called green face. If it's green, you can eat it. Or if it ever had a face, you can eat it. Nothing else. <laughs> and people said, well, well, isn't that a strict diet? I thought, have you done the velocity diet? Eating green beans for breakfast was like having, I mean, I would have a can of green beans and two eggs for breakfast every day. And they're going, oh, that's so strict. And be like, strict? Have you done the velocity diet <laughs> this is strict this is nothing so yeah so I. so that's that's what that's what I came away with
0: Dan you have a great method um, with your warm ups can you just discuss about what you what, what you believe a uh, good warm up entails well ok hold on i
1: getting some more tea uh, you know that's good well uh, let's break away let's walk away from the word warm-up, okay? Let's let's walk away from warm-up. I believe that there's basic human movements, okay? And I think that the basic human movements should be done each and every day. And it's nice if you do them in each and every workout. So my belief is, is, and let's just do the basic six, okay? That would be push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded carry, uh, and the get up, okay? The Turkish get up. I think that you should do those each and every workout. So, but you can't go hard on all of them each and every workout. So in the warm-up, you should do all the basic human movements. And I like to string them all together in a, uh, well, I like to, how do you say this? It's almost like a, a... I like to orchestrate them together a little bit so that we do kind of, like almost every workout I do, we start with waiter walks. After waiter walks, as we hold the hand overhead with the belt, we might do gobble squats. After the goblet squats, we might do some hinge movements like swings. Then we do a couple push ups We do some of this. We do some of that. And the idea is you call, you call it a warm-up but you're doing all the basic human movements. And you can really spend, well, I mean, I spend, I believe you can spend up to 45 minutes doing this. Now, if you're doing this 45 minutes, then, then the motto shows up, the warm-up is the workout. Mm. Then after that 45 minutes that, you then go in and do a, a couple of basic strength movements. doesn't have to be a ton of reps or anything. Three sets of three, five sets of two, uh, two exercises. You've got the quality workout in, all the basic human movements have been covered, and the athlete is prepared for those big, heavy movements. So, uh, my vision of warm-ups is that you need to do a lot more than just stretch or dynamic mobility is now the new catchphrase. You, you need to move a lot throughout the, the entire way the body knows how to move.
0: Okay? I was just watching a DVD with Coach Eaton Reed from uh, Wake Forest, and it was funny because he, he, um, he said a similar thing in his warm you know, He goes, I love calisthenics, push-ups, and hip movements. And it was like, and he goes, you know, pulling. And I was saying, geez, it's very like Dan. like He does a push and a pull and a hinge. And, a, and he does uh, like swings and walks. And he does tumbling, too. This is the other thing. He was big into gymnastics. And I was like, that's another thing from your DVD, too.
1: Yeah, we, uh, I strongly believe that especially a collision sport athlete should be tumbling between sets. They should be doing somersaults, uh, shoulder rolls, forward rolls. They should be tough. they sh- they should spend time dynamically getting onto the ground and dynamically exploding off the ground. Mm. That, that, now, you can say, well, get-ups covered Get-ups don't cover fast enough. Mm. And you need to learn to fall and then get up off the ground. So, no, uh, and it would be no surprise, Ethan and I think the same way we talk all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, he said, like, his reason for the rolling, too, was they get up and they're disorientated but then for after a few weeks of doing the role in Tumlin the, their kinesthetic awareness gets that much better you know so it it's was, stunning it's it was, stunning in fact
1: it, it's stunning the improvement it Yeah, was, it was it really is.
0: really interesting so it was uh, yeah. Dan you, you, you also say in some of your articles and also in the book everything works for a while can you explain what you mean by this
1: yeah about six weeks it's funny I, uh, yesterday I did a uh, Skype uh, lecture at the University of British Columbia. And, uh, you know, some of the kids asked, but see, they didn't know what I was talking about. They'd, they'd never heard of, like, functional isometric contraction. They'd barely heard of novelist training. They had never heard of high-intensity training. They'd never heard of, like, uh, certain kinds of bodybuilding that showed up to be popular here and there through the years. Uh, they knew it was on the Internet now. Well, every single thing I just said works. It does. A nautilus is amazing for six weeks. The problem with is it doesn't carry over. After you know, you'll notice all this. You know, researchers love to do you know weightlifting studies for about six weeks because they know that no matter what we tweak, in six weeks it'll work, and then after that it doesn't. So, if you build a career, and I'm talking ten or twenty years, in my case, forty. That's a lot of six weeks. You know, You if I went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, if you gave me ten things to work on, you know, ten different new ideas, groovy ideas, multiply that by six, that gets you one year and change. About 14 months, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's 60 weeks, right? Yeah. I just said I had a 40-year career. <laughs> Where are you going to come up with those other thirty-nine years of training? So, everything works. So what you need to do is you need to oh, we're back to giving this again. One of the fundamental movements, and I've always said the fundamental movements are, and that's I, I say them so fast now I lose people, but push, pull, hinge, squat, load and carry. I know that if I get you to do those five movements in a variety of ways, we're going to be able to keep sustaining you for a long time in your career. Uh, we can certainly throw in some toy that I learned on the internet. And, it, and I guarantee this toy, this fun new thing, is going to work. But then after about eight or nine weeks, we're going to have to go back to the basics. You know, uh, The barbell, and we'll do the deadlift and the bench press. The pedal bell, the swing, the goblet squat, and the get-up. Uh, we'll do pull-ups. We'll do calisthenics. We'll do tumbling. We're going to get right back to the basics. I know that's going to happen, because that's what happens. This is just... Just the way it is, okay. So I'm, fl- I'm flicking through your book to get
0: more questions I want to ask while you're speaking. So just just in case you're wondering what I'm doing. <laughs> um, Dan, you've also said in your DVDs the goal is to keep the goal the goal. Can you please expand on this because it just it makes so much sense when when you speak about it.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, that that phrase is adapted uh, mm. from. Uh, when I was I was the diocesan director of religious education uh, it was a big deal job it was it was a, it was a big kid job for me and uh, you know one of the things I' come away out of meetings is like well I would constantly say well, what was this meeting for and I'd be in a meeting for two hours and we'd never actually get to the point of the meeting and I realized that one of the gifts that I could bring any organization, is that I have this ability to focus on the mission, and the mission, and if, as the, okay, what do what we, what do people give us money to do? What are people giving me money to do? What, uh, why was this school set up? You know, wh- okay, you're an English teacher at a school. Well, your job is to teach English. Every minute you're not teaching English is away from the mission. Okay, mm-hmm. so I came up with this little thing called the mission is to keep the mission the mission, and I became. The more focused I came on what the mission of the uh, of the Office of Religious Education, which was the uh, format I'll give it to you. I mean, the formation of lay catechists. That was the mission, according to the Vatican, of my job: the formation of lay catechists. Four words. And what I would do is, when a decision came up, should I do this or do that? I would look at those four words. Was it forming lay catechists? If the answer was yes. I would do it and throw myself into it all the way. If it was no, I wouldn't do it. If it was for some other thing, I wouldn't do it. And so when I uh, when I I was still coaching, of course, I wouldn't say full-time, but a lot of time, I was still certainly helping a lot of people in the weight room and discus. And what I started to notice is that I'd go to high school track practice, and these guys would do everything except throw the discus. And I asked the discus throwers, well, what are you guys out here for? Well, how did you learn to throw discus? Well, then you did. You ran two laps, you did calisthenics, you did plyometrics, you did this and you did that and you did this. What are you supposed to be doing? Uh, And, of course, you now know where this is heading. The goal is to keep the goal, the goal. And what I learned from these people who I didn't think were doing it very good is that they were not focusing on the goal. And so, what it is a coach after this time, and I, I think you'd make yourself brilliant if you can do it, is you sit down and you say, What does what this team organized to do? Uh, this. Okay. What is the fastest way to get to this? If it's, you know, uh, that's now we're right back to Tommy Cotto's wonderful book about Olympic lifting. What's the most efficient, fastest way to improve your Olympic lifts? If you're an American football coach, We want to win games, right? So what's the most efficient way to win games? I know everybody else is doing X. We're going to do Y because Y makes you win games. And what it does is give wonderful clarity, and that's why you can throw out all this other crap. Because after a while, you realize that all that other stuff that those guys are doing is not getting you focused on the mission, the goal.
0: Okay? You see that, and you see this an awful lot with, with programs. Guys are like, oh, I, I want to get bigger, and then, like, you look at the program, and it's like, well, why are you doing fat loss then? Or why are you doing.
1: Exactly. Something? So, that is exactly it. It's exactly it. they, they, you, they That's exactly it. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. But you know, the woman wants to lose 20 pounds of body fat for her reunion, and you blow her shoulder off doing some idiotic exercise. Or you have her stand on a BOSU ball I, There's nothing wrong with this stuff Except it's not the goal mm. And that's of course What destroys the athletes All those little extra injuries you just Expect to come along Beginners
0: Dan You, you had a great chapter there in your book about this certain system You did with beginners I can't, I can't seem to come across it there when I'm flicking through your book It was like where you started them off at a certain weight And it went to 5 pounds each workout Or something like that you were saying like some crazy dad wants to know why his daughter couldn't do it.
1: Oh, the Big 21 program. That's right, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, uh, well, the, the point of this is, it's real simple, I mean, it's...
0: Uh, you were just saying the exposures, uh, they got to certain lifts, so you were like saying they got so many reps of this lift and that lift, and that's how they got good at doing them. Yeah,
1: and not every program works for every person at every time. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. And that's the mistake I think a lot of, of young coaches make, is they... They go to this clinic, and they see what the uh, the Iranian Olympic lifters are learn- <laughs> doing, and they try to adapt it to fifth-grade kids, you know, 10-year-olds. And, and I look at them like, you're crazy. You know, the off-season training of the National Basketball Association, the NBA guys, is going to be radically different than the off-season training of a 10-year-old basketball team. Those 10-year-olds should be playing basketball. That guy in the NBA might need to do a whole bunch of, you know, ankle and knee work but they're not the same people. And, and uh, see, now, yeah. But I could, I could go, I could rant on this all day if you'd like. But, uh, the, one of the biggest issues we see in our community is that, uh, so many people, you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly, you know, you're in Ireland, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: What county are you in, Ronnie? Dublin. Oh, you're in Dublin, okay. You know, you can do anything you want in Dublin. You got freedom of speech, you got a lot of freedoms there. Um, you can do anything you, you want well that, just because you can doesn't mean you should you know you know and that's, that's and this is where you start to discover uh, that how stupid some of these programs can become mm-hmm. uh, I, I have a lot of programs and people try to take what I do and you know and then adapt it to what they're it's like no you can't adapt what they're doing here you don't have the equipment you don't know how to snatch, clean and jerk you don't have chains you don't know how to tumble you can't do my program you have to do your program and then the adaptions that you have in your place. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying, come on, you know, think it through a little bit. Yeah,
0: Dan, <laughs> can you speak about the uh, the is it a Lit Litanoff workout? Is
1: that how it's called? Oh yeah, Litanoff, Yeah, that,
0: that sounds so grueling. That workout. That's
1: yeah, a great workout. It's funny because people go, "Oh, that's never happened." It's like, okay, John Powell said. John Powell told me that's what he saw. I'm, I took that, what I thought was a good idea, and adapted it. Basically, it's a basic human movement, usually a hinge or a squat. So deadlift, clean, snatch, front squat, overhead squat, goblet squat, double kettle squat, followed by an explosive movement, usually a sprint, though it can be a sled pull or a prop or, or a car push, but that's insane if you do it. Um, it's The idea is that... you. <laughs> You know, like what the fun. My favorite one is the front squat, drop it, and sprint for about forty meters. That's my personal favorite one of all. Uh, the, it, it, was, was the
0: original? Was sorry, Dan. Was the original one four hundred meter sprint or something ridiculous? Was it? Yeah, I, I'm
1: not going to run four hundred meters. So. <laughs> yeah, again, some you know some jackass online said, "Oh, that's not hard, but oh, so what?" I think the workout itself has great value. The interesting thing is the people who condemn the art. The, the, the workout have never played like American football or rugby. You know, very often they work with winter sports, which, you no know, offense, but not ripping on the winter sports you know, like the Olympics and stuff, but it's a pretty narrow band of people who do those. Mm. You know, I haven't seen a lot of African-Americans in the, in the Winter Olympics. You know, you don't see a lot of, uh, you don't see a lot of Irish you know, Winter Olympics, are there? I mean, you know, the Winter Olympics tend to be more rich kid sports, right? I mean, yeah. Am I wrong, Robbie? I mean, yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying, how many how many inner city kids are downhill skiers? You know, yeah, yeah. So what happens is is when you when you train Winter Olympians, you get this kind of narrow. And this isn't a rip on anyone specifically, but one of the guys who criticize it trains mostly Winter Olympians. Uh, but it's like that's just different. It's a different world. Mm. If you train in American football, you know you need to you need to learn to get battle somebody mano to mano, face to face drop it and then sprint it's the weirdest when I played football I was always amazed how, how exhausted that combination made me late in my football career I did the Litmanovs and it actually reminded me of how the game was played it, it was that weird exhaustion I'm sure rugby players would say the same thing you get in this one on one battle with somebody and then have to sprint. I don't know how else you can train for that combination, you know, because it is a weird, <laughs> you know, you wrestle with somebody and then sprint away is a weird, weird combination of energy. So that's what the program is. I, I think, uh, you know, even if you don't want to do the Limp Bananas by themselves, if you any athlete added sprinting up hills into their program, most people would be off better, you know, pretty, pretty simple.
0: The 5-3-2 program, Dan, just explain what this is. You seem to love this program,
1: five three two. 2 Well, you got to be careful. It goes into the what I call the rule of 10. I believe that in the in the real, there's certain movements. Uh, the deadlift, the snatch, clean and jerk, the basic big movements. Uh, you don't really have 10 quality lifts a day. So the 5-3-2 is you do a set of 5, add weight, do a set of th- 3, and then you add weight, and you make the double. That's the key. You gotta make that double. That five three two. why why a double van? <laughs> I know thousands of guys who bench press, you know, eight hundred pounds in the gym, but if I'm in the gym, they can get one eighty five for a double. There's no one's ever lied, at least in my knowledge. No one's ever been well, singles tend to have what we used to call fuzzy logic about them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly but, what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can bench four, My my buddy barely touched it, you know. But mostly, if you say you can do a lift for a double, I know you can get it once. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I like doubles so much on, on the heavy I'm actually but, very.
0: I'm actually very similar. I like to do doubles and testing rather than singles.
1: Yeah. An interesting thing, uh, after that workout, I flipped the numbers to what I call the 235, 235, 235. And uh, so that's when you stay with one weight and you get your volume by doing a set of two, a set of three, a set of five, back to two, back to three, back to five, back to two. And I amaze myself, what's strange is that those workouts go really fast because the doubles are so easy. The five tweaks you a little bit, but then you can get two right after it. The two is easy, so the three is easy. Then you have that hard set of five, then you get the two. And what's strange is... For hypertrophy, for some strength attributes, uh, for general conditioning with weights, two three five is a pretty good workout. Yeah. Uh, you get, and if you want to get a hundred real fast, go two three five ten. Uh, what is it? Five times. And what's weird about two three five ten? That's if you're going to do like a, it's a pure hypertrophy workout. That ten really taps you out. But you know when you put the weight down, you know you don't need to rest very long. And get the double. So the the whole time under lo, uh, under the the whole time under load on two three five ten is amazing because you get the hundred reps in so fast. It's stun. It'll stun you if you try it. Personally, I've tried ten sets of ten. Uh, it's like watching paint dry. I, it's so boring to me. I can't do it. But <laughs> two three five ten works for me. Especially with the presses. Now I've never done it for squatting. Never, I've never done it for squatting, so I can't really comment on it. Okay.
0: You you seem to love doing the the, the big movements with chains or, or or some of them anyway. You, you in that fight yeah. in that fight for truth is the squat and the bench. You like to do
1: with chains. What why chains? Well, for years as a coach, I've been saying down slow up fast, down slow up fast, down with chains. Not to say it anymore. And that's why. If you if you're working in a group chains will teach them down, slow, up, fast. Also, too, it seems to mimic, chains tend to mimic the natural way we're built. We're a little bit weak when the the hand or the the foot is close to the core, to the body. Mm-hmm. But we're really damn strong as you get farther and farther away. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mimics that, you know. It changes um, that force curve. Yeah, force, yeah, that's a big Big word, force curve
0: yeah, the force, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Dan, and just 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 as you say, a big word. You you're kind of famous or known for just your simplicity as a coach. Does it does it annoy you like when some coaches speak like in like these big you know scientific terms? Like, what, what, what what's your view on that?
1: Well, there's two sides to that. First, it does bother me when someone takes my body of knowledge and says "Oh, you're the guy who talks simple," and it does sort of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at you, Robbie, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, take this whole 40-year career or whatever it is, uh, 65 to 2011, whatever that is, thats That's has more than 10 years up, and say, oh, you like, you, you make things simple, you know, okay, thanks a lot, I appreciate that, you just took my entire life and, you know, you know, threw it into a, a, a gravestone, a, gra- a tombstone, you know, um. Uh, it is true, though, that the answer tends to usually be simple. Uh, on the other side, what you've made is a good point. I, I struggle a lot when I go on workshops and things like that. And, you know, no one, for example, the new one is thoracic mobility. I mean, what? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go to these things and guys are, yeah, I can't bench press today. I've got... My upper separinitis is uh, flamerating on my criscarnia. I don't know what you just said. What are you trying to say? My back hurts. Oh, your back hurts. Yeah, be careful. Upper back, lower back. Upper back. Well, if it's your upper back, you can train, for God's sakes. If it's your lower back, you know, keep an eye on things. Uh, but, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. I mean, you got people who are not medical doctors dispensing uh, advice as a, as a doctor. I just spent a, a nice weekend with the uh, very, very lovely uh, surgeon. And when I was down in Orlando, we talked about this quite a bit. Of course, she does the surgery that I had on my. Hip. She's the person who does that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about how people online are dispensing medical information. She goes, she goes. I stand at clinics, and people will elbow me out of the way to give advice about the hip. Here you got a hip surgeon. A medical doctor, someone who cuts people open for a living and people are elbowing them out of the way to give them, you know, advice that their, you know, their inner spirit is, you know, confabulating with the spinos muscle. And if they were a Virgo, they'd be fine, but they're Pisces. And if they, you know, lift their pinky and put copper on it, they'll be fine. And I'm not, it's that bad. So, yeah, I, I struggle a lot with it. Also, too, you know, we don't know, very much about the human body. We really don't man. And those who act like they really know what's going on, it's like what we used to say about the brain. If, you were, if the brain was simple enough to understand it, you'd be so simple you wouldn't care. And the human body is far more complex than we think. A lot of the stuff we're now talking about, like anatomy trains and things like that, where, you know, people are working with things it's funny to say this because this is filled with fall- fallacy too. They work with human cadavers. Well, a cadaver is not exactly like a living being. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is mm-hmm. a theologian talking. Uh, cadavers are a little different than living humans. But, you know, I agree. What they're noticing when they do work with the cadavers is that the, the there is no the muscle. when you What muscle does that work is not ever an appropriate question. Mm-hmm. So, you know so I'm just I'm just saying um to, to take a short easy question I'm for 20 minutes uh, <laughs> it's, all uh, it's all
0: good Dan. it's all relevant
1: yeah is that um, but, you know we're, we're a lot I think I think some people are, are convinced they see a lot but we really don't yeah. we're really a lot blinder than we are mm-hmm. we just don't know so you gotta be real careful about uh I think we're right about a lot of things. I think a hundred years from now they'll be lifting weights to get stronger. And I mean that. <laughs> but a lot of other things that we say now won't won't they don't they don't survive the sniff test. Yeah, so I think we have yeah, to be yeah. real careful. Yeah. Okay?
0: Yeah. But by, by the way, I, I think it's a talent when someone can take something and make it simple, so I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, hope, as you said, it's not an insult. I, I think it's a gift. I think, like, I, th- like, yeah. like Gray Cook. I think Gray makes complicated things sounds very simple as well. You know, and yeah. I, I think you also have that,
1: that, uh, that gift as well. Hey. If, if it is, thank you. A gift. But still, you, know, you can see my issue too. Oh, I
0: can, of course, I can, of course, yeah,
1: yeah. We're we're gonna bring Dan John because well, he'll just he's so simple. You know, it's like oh, that's a, yeah, you know, it's like yeah. You're ugly, but you have a nice personality. You
0: know? <laughs> we won't, we won't have you on DVD, but podcast—that's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, yeah. Dan, nutrition—you've spoken numerous times throughout, never let go about nutrition. Just, just give us your big principles on nutrition.
1: Well, and this is something I've discovered almost universally. Uh, there's three big ones: uh, eat more protein, eat more fiber, and take fish oil. Uh, uh, no matter what your goal set is. Most of the athletes I work with, I'm right when I I get them to do that. If the athlete doesn't know what protein is, it's a real indicator about some things. I I noticed that Rob Wolf is the guy who turned me on to this. He said, you know, you go to a thing and the kids will know that vitamin C is ascorbic acid. And they'll know that vitamin C uh, stops uh, scurvy. And they'll know that vitamin C blah, blah, blah. But then ask them what's a good breakfast and they won't have an answer for you. So for many of my athletes, you know, just pushing them into more protein. You know, try to have protein at every meal. Uh, I recommend to all my athletes, you know, you should be drinking sugar-free, orange-flavored Metamucil every night because most of my athletes don't get enough fiber. And then my athletes say, you know, after a while, when they start eating um, two vegetables at every meal, pretty soon they're dealing with that, 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 that fiber issue. And then, almost universally, at least with American athletes, we need to pump them full of, uh, of fish oil because the overabundance of those other uh, fats here in the United States—we uh, have a terrible, terrible uh, issue with uh, obesity here in the states, and it's getting worse by the hour. But um, that's, so, those are my three. Um, and the, the funny thing is, that the devil's in the details. I know that, but uh, there's some good resources out. Precision nutrition, John Berardi's programs are very good. If you're a young coach or an athlete, uh, it would be, behoove you to probably start. He's got this little series of very short, like 14, you know, you, you are to have it. And that's his, that's his great insight about nutrition. It's your nutritional habits that are the key, mm-hmm. not exactly whether you have, God, you know, some of these people online, they put their workouts, you know, I had 500 grams of salmon. What the hell? What kind of psychopath are you? <laughs> Just eat some damn salmon, you know? God, you know, don't... You're, I mean, you know, you're weighing your food? I mean, I mean. no way. I mean, and then you want to sit down with these guys. He goes, like the one guy once said to me, I want to look good naked. And I said, why do you want to look good naked? Cause then, and then finally I broke up to him. I go, there's not a woman in the world who wants to see you naked because you're such a psychopath. You know, you're weighing your food. You're not having dessert. I'm looking at a picture of myself right now. I'm surrounded by four beautiful women. i got a wine glass in my hand. They all have wine glass in their hand. And they they all they all try to get as close as they can to me in the picture. I'm not counting the number of glasses of wine I had that night, okay? <laughs> when beautiful women want to be around you, you've locked it down. And I told the guy, this Frank guy, I'd go, you know, you're going to have to, to look good it just, i it. You know, I gotta be careful, I don't you know, kinda of ruin your podcast. Oh, you're okay. Firehead back sexual innuendos. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean seriously, if you beautiful women don't want to hang around the guy who is at dinner weighing his salmon, for God's sakes, okay? That's definitely true. They don't want to be around the guy who is, you know, A can handle himself in a fight, B knows how to fix a tire, and C knows how to have a good time. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: That's what I've uh, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that um, Just a few more questions Anne, And I'll, I'll let you off high, high rep squats You speak about High rep squats a lot And never let go About you know Just putting on size There was one Absolutely horrendous Workout I think It, it, it was like For whatever reason March 1979 Is in my head Where you did like you did like three sets of 30 reps On, on a descending weight like You were starting off like a 315, 275 And 225, can you just speak about Why you think high rep squats are, are so good for, for size It was June of
1: 1979 well,
0: uh, I, I, uh, was, I was close, I was close
1: Very close uh, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what the magic is uh, I'm not the first person in history to talk about it It is stunning About what it can do for you both um, I've got some thoughts about it. Um, you know, we know from the East German studies on throwers that the, whatever the weakest link in your chain is, is going to be the thing that holds you back as a thrower. And don't forget, okay, throwing is always my paradigm. And, but I'll tell you this, and, cause it, but if it works in throwing, generally it works everywhere. hmm Okay, so if it makes my shot better throw the shot farther, I can guarantee your rugby team is going to be better from this. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I think that when you do high rep squats, you're... Ex- See, I think the same about sprinting uphill, too. Okay, just so you know, I feel the same about both of those. Whatever is the weak link in your chain gets exposed. Yeah. And the nice thing about high rep squats is that it gives you... 20, 30, 40, 50 opportunities to deal with that weak link in your chain. So if you have a weak lower back, you're going to be held back by that weak lower back but you're going to do 50 reps at 135. That lower back is going to, it's got it has got time under load to address it. If your uh, quads are weak, you'll find out about that. You're, it, it also works your big butt. It also, the time under load is stunning. Uh, when I used to do those sets of 30 and 50 squats, I might be in the rack for three or four minutes. Minutes! <laughs> and maybe longer. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the first time I did 50 reps with 225, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'd been in the rack for five minutes. I wouldn't have been surprised. Every rep from 40 to 50 was a single. I and mean, it was six and seven breaths. Uh, thirty-five to forty was a nightmare. Um, getting to twenty-five was insane. You know, you get to twenty-five, and you're halfway there. Oh my god! So I think what it does is it, at a core level, makes your body, you know, super super compensate at such a high level that there's no other way to mimic it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You just don't get the same supersetting. Wrist curls with tricep extensions. You just don't get, you you don't feel as awful. I can guarantee you that. I sat on Dick's incline bench for the better <laughs> part of forty five minutes. Literally, I would say the first half an hour holding on for dear life and then <laughs> consciously trying to figure out how to ride my motorcycle home <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, for just for the listeners I'm laughing because that's how you started your article it was just like I'm lying there on the incline wondering how I'm going to do cycle like home my motorbike and, and you are like and I didn't do incline presses <laughs> you are like yeah
1: and that's kind of a and, and so what happens is when you do those high rep things you know, I've got a whole bunch of people. On my, uh, at DaveDraper.com, there's a thing called the Dan John Q&A. People go hit it if you like. But there's a group of guys called the Max Made Simple. It's my second real book. And these guys post their logs there. And one of the things they find out, one of the goals in this six-week program is to squat your body weight 50 times. And when they first get into it, it's like, I'll never get there. But, you know, what's funny is in six weeks, these guys all get there. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, man. And a lot of guys fail, but I don't care if they fail. But in six weeks, they do 14 high rep squat workouts. There is one, there's maybe two. Well, one non-high rep squat workout, there's a second one that's less so. But of the rest, 12 are scary numbers. Freakishly high numbers of squats. And guys grow. Grow like weeds in that program. It's not some miracle, some shocking thing that no one's ever heard of. It's just it's time under, under load which is the secret to hypertrophy
0: uh, Dan how do you go about getting stronger at a particular lift and I suppose this kind of goes back to keeping the goal to but I often see guys going god I need to get you know my back squat up we'll say and then you, oh. look, at the, you look at their program and it's like well you're yeah. only doing the back squat once a week
1: well there's okay, yeah, there, that would be an issue you're not doing enough you know, as a discus thrower, it's 10,000 reps, but, you know, as an Olympic lifter, I mean, you've got to probably get in, I don't want to think about it, a lot of reps. Um, but uh, outside of, you know, I would say a program like Pavel's Power to the People or Grease the Groove, we do the movement every day. Uh, every day, Every doesn't have to be crazy heavy, just do it every day for for a while. I'd say two weeks and see what happens. But the other side, the other thing besides Grease the Groove is uh, uh, functional isometric contraction find the weak point in that lift and then uh, you know start at that position use a rack or I use saw horses but use a rack or saw horses put the ball right at that sticking point and just see how strong you are Which stunned me is that I, I used to be an Olympic lifter I would clean and jerk 363 at every meet uh, clean and jerk uh, 385 one time but most of the time past 363 I would get stuck on the bottom of the front squat at thir- literally 34 inches off the ground. So Dave Turner came up with the idea we'd put the bar 34 inches off the ground and see what I could front squat. Well, I struggled with 135 and we looked at each other like oh, <laughs> there's the problem. I had like no neurological n- My body had no idea what to do at 34 inches. Within Uh, five or six weeks of doing uh, functional isometric contraction twice a week, I got that lift up to 365, which is solid. At the next weightlifting meet, I cleaned 402. Stood up with it and missed a jerk behind me. In other words, and I never missed another clean in the rest of my career. Ever. I never missed the recovery, I should say. I never missed the recovery on another clean the rest of my career. I would miss jerks, but never missed the recovery mm-hmm. because I was at 34 inches. I had this, I had this leverage issue that I fixed by focusing on it. So two things: one, either grease the groove. Do that, you know, do that for two weeks. You know, that means bench press every day for two weeks and see if that helps. And then the other one, find the weak spot and then just put the bar on that exactly where that weak spot is and. You know, two days a week, try to blast up more, more weight every time. Uh, neither of these ideas is, you know, that fancy or that <laughs> special, but they both work, you know. And, and so, just
0: just just a quick carry on from that, because, you know, I, I suppose some coaches, and I don't know, like I guess when you're a beginner getting into the field too, people go, oh, no, you can't do the same thing every day, every day. But then I've often seen the forty-day program, or the, the, I've seen some other programs by you where it's it's actually just nearly the same thing every day. It's just the intensity and volume is manipulated. Can you
1: speak yeah. about? Can you speak about this? Well, sure, it's called what? I can't believe that we do. It. I mean, you're not going to have your basketball player free throw every day. You know, the swimmer is not going to be in the pool every day. I mean, when did this? When did we come up with this idea that you can't do uh, uh, this move every day? You know, who are the police that are going to prevent us from doing it? You know, um, the the point, and I've always believed this, is that, you know, we do these movements time after time after time after time in every other sport, and yet we have a set of rules in the weight room that we can't. I mean, my high school kids do push-ups every day. Track athletes run, sprint, hurdle every day. Why can't we do these movements? I didn't say max every day. I said do the movements. Funny thing is... The Iranian, the Bulgarian lifters do max every day. They have a daily max. And the idea is to keep, you know, you keep an eye on where your waves are, you know, your, how you rise and fall on it. So I'm not bothered at all by that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Gr- great answer. They can disagree with it,
1: but, that's, you know. That's I
0: think I, w- one of the best things I ever read that kind of made me help appreciate that was an article by Jason Ferrugia, And Ferrugia wrote it. It actually was pretty profound because it really kind of changed my outlook on strength training. And he says, strength... Is a skill And then he's like It's no different to any other skill He says it's, And he says that's the problem with most guys They go in and think Oh just heavy weights I, I also say this to my Gaelic football players My hurlers I'm like deadlifting, squatting, benching, chin-ups Whatever it is you're doing in the gym It's exactly like the stuff you do on the pitch Whether it's kicking a football Or striking a slitter It's a skill that has to be learned Every day And
1: I think that was I think Pavel said that first by the way
0: that's, it, could, it could have. It could well have been.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I read yeah. it from Jason's website, but it could have been well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. Dan, that that is pretty much it. Um. The last thing I just want to ask is, just some advice to any young coaches getting into the field, and and also some books and references that you would recommend to young coaches or any coaches for that matter. Well,
1: you guys are a lot luckier than uh, than I was coming up. There's a lot more references now. You know. There's
0: a lot more a lot of good books out there but even e- even this, it just looks to cut across and not, not, not even so much because as I said early on in the podcast you've done the his his history and theology background and even in the back and never let go you even have some kind of life books so yeah, even yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I find it actually very important that's one thing because when I got into the field first and like people were always like recommend read this read this self-improvement book or this book or that book I' was like no I just want strength edition books strength edition books strength edition books that's all I want and then I realized after a while if you just keep reading strength and conditioning books, you just you know your outlook on life in general is just so narrow. So, so, so I'm making this uh, this question very long. So, just for 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 your last question, some advice for young coaches, and then reference, references uh, both strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition, and just general life books. Okay. Um, you
1: know, may, I would strongly suggest you not go right into strength training. I think that's a big mistake a lot of people do. I think you need to coach first. I think you need to, uh, you know, have a... You should know a sport first, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I think that's the mistake a lot of these young guys are doing now is they're going, they're studying kinesiology, and they hang around, the, you know, the weight room. That's not going to help you. I mean, because it's the application is the important thing. Mm-hmm. Hell, I could teach anybody to be a strength coach, but it's the application to the, to what's going on out there. And so make sure you have a skill set. It doesn't have to be... Uh, in fact, in the book, I've got that one. It's called uh, "Strong Eye, uh, Strong Eye for a Weak Guy" or something like that. I got a whole chapter on it. In fact, it's my favorite chapter in the book, but no one likes it except for me. Um, you know, you got to you got to have some level of mastery at a sport. You, you got to. You don't have to be the world champion. You just have to. You have to play a game. You have to play a sport. You have to. It doesn't matter what it is, too. I mean, there's a million options. Just be a really good backpacker. I mean, it doesn't matter. Somehow, and then, so that'll give you the insights about how strength training it impacts you, impacts you on the field of play, impacts you in your hobby. So that's a big one. Second, you know, you know, you need to have mastery of the basic human movements. If it takes you two or three years to master the squat, it's two or three years we'll, we'll play. Uh, you need to have mastery of the basic human movements. Uh, you need to you, you need to form a walk. You, you, the strength coach, you need to do it. Uh, the third is you got to have a niche. I tell people about this all the time. No one ever listens to me. I mean, I know what my niche in the industry is. I know it really well. Uh I am the crazy uncle in the attic. Uh, I'm the uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving and makes your mom cry. I know that. I know that's my niche. Um, the problem is I'm I'm the only guy who can do that. And when people when people attack me online, hundreds, hundreds of blog posts show up defending me. It's hilarious to watch it because even though I'm their crazy uncle, uh I'm the uncle that they like, okay? You need to find your niche in this in this community. So you need to spend time thinking about, you know, wh- what is my skill set? My friend Tim Anderson just came out with a book, uh, uh, Becoming Bulletproof. Love it. It's very inexpensive. Tim Anderson, I don't know where you find it. Google it. Buy it. It's a good book. Tim is an expert on what I would call kind of pre-warming up and post-warming cooling down he's very good at these movements that make you better at moving
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, didn't even know about this stuff but I, I told Tim in my email back at him my in the book I said this is your niche man nobody else in the industry is thinking about I um, you know like cross crawls and things like that you know the rock squats and stuff no one else is thinking about that <laughs> that's your niche um, I'm thinking about uh another name. Oh, Josh Hillis, you know. His niche is female fat loss. No one better on the web, no one better than him on female fat loss. He specializes, that's his niche. Now, if I'm doing a Russian kettlebell certification, I wouldn't mind having Josh as my assistant. He's a great guy. But his niche, his go-to thing, is his skill set with female fat loss. Mm -hmm. You you can't out-female fat loss him. Mm -hmm. So you have to find an area that you're going to be the go-to person, and now, in a small setting like a school or a club, you're the go-to person on 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 strength. Good, good. That's your niche in the bigger sense. But then you have to start actively looking for a narrow, or narrow, and that narrow. That's not narrow is not the right word. <laughs> but you've got to find that place. Where you are the person, you are the person who's got this nailed down, mm-hmm. and that's that's the key. Uh, for for books, I always tell people there's a couple of books I would recommend. Let me recommend two from Dragon Door right away. Okay, I think Pavel's book "Power to the People" is stunning. I think it's one of the most eye-opening books on strength ever, 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 ever written. Okay, mm-hmm. the second one would be "Return of the Kettlebell." Uh, There's parts of it that are, you know, that are, you know, um, maybe a little bit too kettlebelly. You know, if you're that guy, you know, you don't want to be kettlebells. But the overall view of the training in there is stunning. And then Powell's explanation of the hip flexor stretch, uh, combining up the goblet squats some other things, is just, it's it's one-of-a-kind stuff. They also have this new book called Easy Strength, and I'm telling you, I know it's mine, but I think I say some things in Easy Strength, Powell and I say some things. Never before even discussed in strength training. Uh, I think in ten or fifteen years, easy strength will be—and I mean this—the uh, kind of book that uh, uh, sport coaches will reference when they talk to their tra- talk about training. Mm-hmm. They will say that we're a quadrant two sport versus a quadrant. The, the track guys over there are quadrant three, and so I think that's really important. Um, I. Tommy Kono has two books that I think work through time uh, I'm starting to think the second one I can't remember the first one's called Weightlifting Olympic Style and the second one might be called Mental Strategies for Strength or something like that but it's they're both available from him TommyKono.com, I'm sure but the, those two books illuminating books about a long term practical approach about becoming the best uh, ah boy there, there, there's so there's so many books of, um, anything you can ever read by John Jerome, J-E-R-O-M-E. I think Stain Supple was his best work, but he's I think he's dead now, but if you can get that book. Um there's so many so I, but I'm doing my best to, to focus it into areas for you. Can yeah, you yeah. see how I'm doing that? Oh yeah. Um there's an American guy, you might might not, might not apply, but you can probably you can get my free book that says some of the same stuff. I have a free book on DanJohn.net called "A Contrarian Approach to Discus," mm-hmm. but there's a book by a guy named John T. Reed at JohnTReed.com. It's called like the Contrarian Approach to Football or something like that. What's good about it? it might see, it might not carry over to an international audience, but the idea is look at the sport or your game through a new set of eyes we're out there to win the game well let's let's go win the game let's not be so if everybody's doing x well then we should certainly do y because no one's gonna be ready for y Mm -hmm. uh, you know and simplify the game simplify the thing what are the what what is the essence what is the key to every single thing I, i i think it's brilliant in nutrition my god i don't even know what to tell you anymore um there was a good one I liked a lot called the Protein Power Lifespan Program by Mary Dan and her, her husband. Michael
0: <laughs> Michael Eades said uh, the doctors there. I know that one there. Yeah.
1: Michael, yeah, yeah. E A D E S. Uh, they also E-A-D-D-S, have a Yeah, that's the one. The middle age belly fat off or something like that. My my only problem with them is in their original Lifespan Program they talked about doing a really a Paleo program. You know, throwing rocks, uh, jumping from tree to tree. I like a lot. I mean, that's not exactly it. But then they had, they they adopted this super slow bullshit, and then I just I really struggle with that because it doesn't fit their paradigm. But they're the ones that really convinced me to you know to donate blood and uh, up your protein. Get rid of you know get rid of most crappy carbs. And I agree with that a lot. Um, so on diet, that's that's like a book off the shelf. You know, if someone needs a an entry level on what to do. Um, uh, I like a lot of the paleo books, like Rob Wolf's book, but the problem is, you know, the paleo for some people, the paleo is too narrow, and I and I appreciate that. I, I don't, I understand how some people wouldn't like it. I do think Doctor Atkins's original book, Atkins A T K I N, has some insights about balance versus unbalance that we still haven't appreciated enough, and I still think there's some genius to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I should, you know, the problem is my shelves are so full. Um, I mean, if you read stuff by John Berardi in Nutrition, you, you can't go too far wrong. I think is a genius, the way he makes you, instead of worrying about what exactly to eat, you know, master a habit. The other person, again, if you can get to Josh hellas at his website, he's got some good material there. Pretty pretty easy.
0: Um, that's a pretty good summary so far, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a brilliant summary so far and what about any sort of um, philosophy books on life Dan well, what here we would, go what, how many hours you got what, what what would be your top three if, if you could give top three, three.
1: alright well okay just uh, kind of a no we can't do that I, I think Genesis chapter 4 Cain and Abel okay uh, uh, if you take an honest study of it to really spend your time uh, everything you want to know about humanity is in there. Mm-hmm. Gilgamesh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, and a lot of people say kind of that thing's old. I know it's old, but he's talking about longevity, you know, living forever. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, I still think Cervantes' first, you know, Don Quixote, the first one, is stunning. But, you know, that uh, the book that changed my life, T.H. White's The Sword and the Stone, Can read it at least once a year. Change the book that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, there's so many. Um, ah, boy. Um, I, I would strongly suggest to, to a lot of people to read Harry Potter. Uh, uh, J.K. Rowling nailed it with humanity on that one. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, stunning epic. Um, stunning. Uh, the depth of the characters. It's not a little it's too powerful for the, to, to, to say that but you have to read all seven don't cheat and <laughs> watch yeah, yeah. the movies yeah yeah gosh I'm, I'll tell you that two books that I'm sh- shocked I'm rereading Jurassic Park and The Lost World by Michael Creighton says and then say uh, weight training instead of the island you'll you'll get some insights and then finally I would say uh, Frank Herbert dune I think dune has great value um, of course I also think you know I hate to not mention Shakespeare I've got a statue over here um, and then of course if you get a chance and it's not if you get a good translation the toin Bokuli. Cooling Of uh, the great Irish Northern Irish epic I don't know why I think it's so important But it certainly Echoes a lot of things A lot of people think I need to take another Phone call in about Two minutes So yeah. I'm
0: going to have to Lay on this Oh that's fine I was just I was just about to Close up Okay Dan that's uh, That's more than I expected When I first rang it. We even gone to An hour and twenty minutes Or twenty <laughs> To over twenty So Dan, send me, send me the link when you put it up, okay? Oh, I, I will indeed. And um, so, thanks a million again, Dan, and guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for podcasting. Take care. I'll talk to you soon and stay strong.